0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF the Podcast. This is episode 119 called Alex. Guys, I'm so excited to tell you about Belly for Women Prenatal, which just hit the market. 92% of women don't get even close to the 450 milligrams of recommended choline they need in their diets. And in a recent study, most prenatals don't contain much of any choline at all. Belly's women's formula includes 400 milligrams of choline. Belly did things differently when they created their prenatal, they looked at the research and they evaluated what key ingredients were needed to help women prepare their bodies to be the healthiest they can to conceive, grow and welcome new little lives. Belly is formulated with the right nutrients to help boost your fertility, increase egg quality and support IVF to increase your chances of conception and a healthy pregnancy. Then once you're pregnant, Belly is gentler on the stomach to reduce the effects of morning sickness made with methylated B vitamins and the right amount of choline to support your baby's development. To get started with Belly, go to BellyBaby.com and use code ALI15 for 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code ALI15 at BellyBaby.com. That's B E L I. B-A-B-Y.com. Thanks, Belly. All right, guys. So today I am talking to my incredible friend, Alex Vane, who is the guy behind Pursuing Fatherhood on Instagram. He is one of the very vocal guys in this infertility community, and I'm so lucky to have gotten to know him over the past couple of years since I started this podcast. He has spoken at Fertility Rally Live. He's been very open about he and his wife, Lauren's infertility journey, and I did this interview a handful of weeks ago, but I wanted to save it for Father's Day because he's just a really great guy and a really, really good dad, and you'll hear all about that. So today, Alex is going to talk about his male factor infertility issues and how he and Lauren used a donor to conceive. So it's a really sweet story. It's pretty funny at times, and I just hope that this helps anybody going through male factor infertility or donor conception. I hope it makes you guys feel less alone. So thank you to Alex and Lauren and their daughter Delaney, and happy Father's Day, my friend. Without further ado, this is Alex's infertility story. Hey, Alex, it's good to talk to you again.
1: Yeah, good to talk to you, Ali.
0: Thank you so much for doing this. I would love to start at the beginning with you. And as a man, like a young man, did you always want to be a dad? Like, did you know that you were going to have kids?
1: Oh yeah, I. You know, maybe in a. I don't know. I, I don't think that's something that I hear all that often from other guys. Is like right. I've always known I want to be a dad, but right, um, <laughs> that is the case for me. I don't know why. I, I mean, I had a, I had a really good dad, and. So I had a really good example of of that. And I just, I always knew that that was something I wanted. I have two little sisters and two little cousins that lived on the same street as me. And so I always kind of just felt like, I don't know, I was always kind of helping take care of other kids. And it's just always something I loved. And I've always been kind of good at it, just good with kids and love mm-hmm. being around them. And so, yeah, something, something that I did always know, uh, just kind of, you know, assumed or thought I knew was going to be uh, a given in my life.
0: Okay. So what happened when you met your wife or wife to be? I guess she wasn't your wife when you met her. (laughs) That would be weird.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we met in high school, so it'd be even weirder. Yeah. Uh, Same
0: with me. Same with Vince and me. We were 16.
1: Yep. We were 16 as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I was my first day at a new school and in my very first class, I walked in and there was Lauren and her story would be that she, you know, I was the new kid, so I knew no one, but, mm-hmm. um, when I walked in, she was sitting there with her friends and, and, uh, called dibs on me. Uh, she did I walked in the door. Yes, she yes,
0: did. That's and, awesome. uh, You're like the hot new guy.
1: <laughs> and so then within like, oh, less than a month we were, we were dating. And, uh, so it was pretty, just pretty instant. We just both, I don't know, we just hit it off. Um, we've just always gotten along really well and, mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway yeah I dated all through the last couple of years of high school and all through college and just always knew that we were going to have a family you know mm-hmm. and uh just kind of a given and we because we had already been together for so long we decided well we got married pretty early you know mm-hmm. pretty young we were How 23 Okay so i mean as young for us we we were the first one of our friend groups you know either of our friend groups to get married and so it was kind of just a strange thing to to uh, figure out together but we were like, well, we're, we're we want to be young parents. We're gonna, you know, and then uh, we wanted to spend a couple years just being married, especially since we were the first ones to get married. We were like, well, if we have kids now, no one we know is gonna have kids. So mm-hmm. anyway, we were like, we'll wait a couple years. Well, a couple years turned into five, just mm-hmm. because we were traveling, having fun, and just now letting people kind of catch up to us in uh, in their, you know, get to the same phases of life and that kind of thing, right? And so. Yeah, 5 years in uh to marriage is when we actually started trying to to grow our family and and uh yeah, it just did not go the way that we expected it to at all. Yeah, so um, to talk
0: me through that. I mean, I know a lot happened, but when you when you guys started to try was she was just not getting pregnant or like what was going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, just kind of uh I didn't really know what to expect. I just kind of thought, you know, you start you know, you get off birth control and then you get pregnant, you know, that's how it seems to work for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's kind of just what we expected. And, you know, about six months goes by and, and Lauren's starting to get very, very sensitive to other, you know, women getting pregnant and, mm-hmm. um, other it's, now it seems like we're the ones getting behind, you know, right. which is kind of a you're weird... like, wait,
0: we are waiting for y'all. Now you guys are surpassing <laughs> us.
1: Yes, exactly. Like everybody's leaving us in the dust now. And I, I, Specifically I remember one time about six months in that one of my best friends that had just gotten married, you know, a year or two earlier announced that they were pregnant. And I came home and told her and she just started sobbing. And that's I think the first time that I really realized, like, oh, okay, this is really hard on her. This is, you know, she was expecting to have been pregnant months ago at this point. And so that was kind of the the beginning for me of realizing how hard it was on her. It really up to that point, wasn't hard on me because I just kind of thought it'll happen. You know, we're just being impatient and.
0: Right. And that's what you hear from like society too. Right. And probably family members and like, just relax. It'll happen. Like,
1: exactly. Don't think about it so much. Yeah. And I think I fell into that category just like, yeah, calm down, babe. Like this is, you know, it's okay. I just didn't realize how, how painful it had already become for her. I think. So, you know, from then it was like, I dreaded whenever I saw on Facebook, somebody was pregnant or some, one of my friends told me they were pregnant. I was like, in fact, I had some people that, that told me they were pregnant. And I said, please let me tell Lauren that, that you guys are pregnant. Like, please don't tell her. Right. Um, Because you're such
0: a sweet husband to do that. But yeah, yeah, I get it.
1: I just, I I knew she wouldn't want to be caught caught off guard like that. And Mm -hmm. I also, it was trying, I think trying to be a good friend too, because I was kind of like in the back of my mind, like, you're not going to get the reaction that you probably want and deserve (laughs) out of her because she's going to be pissed that you're pregnant. So, you know, there was, there was some uh, maneuvering there for sure. And, um, so then we got to about a year in and she is, she's pretty close with her, um, OB and, and had been very open about, you know, Hey, we're trying and it's not happening. And so finally her OB was like, okay, come on in. Let's, let's do some tests, you know, and, uh, couldn't find anything with her. Um, she had no, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't see any obvious reasons why Lauren would have any trouble getting pregnant. And Mm -hmm. so, Then they were like, well, Alex needs to go get tested. And then I really kind of went back to the, this is stupid. We're being impatient. You know, this whole thing is ridiculous, but whatever. I see how, I see how bad this is affecting you and and I'll just go get this taken care of so that it'll make you feel better, you know? Right. And uh, so go in, you know, have my, my analysis done. And then we get a phone call, you know, a week or two later that there is zero sperm yeah. and that was just an earth-shattering moment i think for both of us just not at all what we had expected i think you know we both fell into the the lie that you know it's only women that are affected by all this and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you know that i had never even heard of of uh, this happening to any guy right. um and so you know i'm like i don't even know anybody is that even possible there has mm-hmm. to be a mistake and just so confused and shocked. And so they they had me go in and retest and got the same results the second time. Wow. And that was just, I mean, it's it's such a weird grief is such a weird thing because I can there are certain moments that I can vividly remember that I will just never forget. And then the rest of it just feels like a big fog. Mm-hmm. And I that that's how it felt. It felt like there was just a fog, you know, between us and in our house for weeks probably months where we were just in this darkness you know and yeah. and then we start okay what's the next steps we got to go let's go see here all just let's go you know get some follow-up testing done well we found out that we did have uh, that I had another issue, which is just known as a varicose just an enlarged mm-hmm. vein, like a varicose vein, and uh, that they can do a surgery to repair that, and uh-huh. um, you know, kind of improve your odds of, of uh, you know, getting better production and stuff. So we did that, um, uh-huh. got that taken care of within two or three months of that original diagnosis. And, uh, so went through all of that. And then you got to wait six months to go retest after that, just mm-hmm. to kind of let everything, the body kind of reset. Wait, can we backtrack um, a little bit, Alex, to yeah. the surgery?
0: Cause I know that you've talked about this with us before. This is not easy surgery and it's painful. No. The recovery is painful, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And it's not, there are more invasive and more painful surgeries. Like there are, there's a few different types of like sperm retrieval surgeries that are done now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and those are, those are more, more painful, um, and more invasive. Typically some of them, I guess some of them, they just kind of go in with a needle, but some of them there, there are incisions and tissue extracted and, you know, it's pretty, it gets pretty intense and pretty painful. Um, like, uh, Wes from yep. to that, he, he's talked about, he had the, the procedure where they, they go in and they, you know, directly into the testicle. They're making yeah. an incision and, and removing tissue and stuff. Yeah. So mine, mine is, it was a, you know, was a surgery. I had, to, I was under, you know, anesthesia and, but they, the incision's more like a, a hernia um, mm-hmm. surgery incision. And so, cause they're just going for the veins really. Gotcha. And so, but still, yes, painful. The recovery was not fun. I mean, it was... Right. I remember like riding in the car a week later and just, it's just sitting in the car and hitting bumps in the road was, was really painful. Right. Um, Not, not a fun experience at all.
0: Yeah. And tell Um, me how were you able, like as a guy, like, I'm, I'm always so curious to, to, to see how you felt emotionally like going through all this, like were you able to talk to your friends about this or did it make you feel like, less of a man that you had to do, you know, like what was going on, not to put words in your mouth at all, but what was going on in your mind?
1: Yeah. I told one friend that the the truth about what was happening and what the, you know, the news we had gotten the surgery I was having and I lied to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in fact, we were on a, we were on like a, you know, beer league kickball team, mm-hmm. uh, just with some, with some friends. And, Um, so I had to miss a couple of weeks. It was a lot of fun, (laughs) but I had to miss a couple of weeks after that because of the surgery. And so I, I told everyone that I had hernia surgery. Um, and I just was like, I was, I was embarrassed and ashamed by the whole thing. Um, our, our moms knew that we, you know, what we were going through and that I had that surgery and everything, but no one else. I mean, we, we kept it pretty, pretty tight at first. We just, Mm -hmm. Lauren was just trying to protect me. I think she needed to talk about it more and, but she was trying to protect me and, and, you know, she, cause she knew I was kind of just embarrassed and emasculated and ashamed by the whole thing. And yeah. so that was a tough, that was a tough thing to process for sure. Right. And, and then to kind of feel like you're alone. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: we had kind of an interesting encounter must've been just a few months after I had that surgery. So I've already had the surgery. We're waiting now to retest. And kind of just, we're already kind of talking about next steps, like what if this doesn't work, what if it does, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we just randomly bumped into this this couple that we've known for I've known the wife for uh, most of my life, and we bumped into them at a wedding and just kind of were you know catching up. And she had written a Mother's Day post on Facebook uh, a couple of years before, talking about how they had struggled with infertility before they got to their kids, and you know they're so grateful to finally be experiencing a Mother's Day and you know celebrating a Mother's Day and. And so I just kind of approached her at this, at this wedding. And I said, thank you so much for, you know, sharing a little bit of your story on there. I said, you know, it's made us feel a little bit better. We're, we're currently kind of going through the same thing and we've mm-hmm. been kind of private about it. And she just, I, and I had not seen this girl for years and she just unloaded their whole story on me uh, that they had gone in, had no sperm. They had done the varicoseal repair surgery and, mm-hmm. and that there was no change for them. And that they had actually um, used a donor to get pregnant and have Mm -hmm. their children. Mm -hmm. And I was, my mind was just blown. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were, I was just standing there like, oh my God. I mean, their story was exactly like ours at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I have to, you know, go flag Lauren down at this wedding. I'm like, you have to, you know, come, come talk to her. And so that was kind of the first moment for us where we realized like, okay, other people that we know are going through this or have gone through something mm-hmm. similar. Um, they're just not talking about it. They, they told us all, they just word vomited their whole story on us. And then they were like, Oh crap, please don't tell anybody because right. we haven't even told like our, most of our family. And, uh, but she said, I just felt like I had to tell you something just made me feel like I needed to tell you. Wow. And uh, that honestly, like that changed my life uh, because then it kind of, they kind of released me a little bit to kind of go, okay, okay, First of all, this needs to be talked about. Second yep. of all, this is not as as uh, rare as I thought. And and our doctor had told us, you know, when we started bringing that up to her, she said, "You do know people that have gone through this or something similar. They just you just don't know that you know them. You know, mm-hmm. they're not talking about it." And uh, so we it just was kind of a it was such a freeing moment. It, for all those reasons, but then also to go, Oh, okay. So there are alternatives. Like, even if this doesn't work, we could still, because my thing all along had been, am I even, am I, so am I just never going to be a dad now? I mean, that was kind of like, I was hyper-focused on that point. Like, am I ever going to be able to have kids now? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just a devastating, that was a devastating thought for me. And so that kind of opened my eyes to, okay, there are other avenues that are, you know, out there for us if we need them. And so a couple more months goes by a uh, day before Thanksgiving or maybe two days before Thanksgiving. Um, mm-hmm. We had to go in for our follow-up appointment and found mm-hmm. out that there was no change. So mm-hmm. we still have nothing to work with uh, after okay. all this, you know, we're now another year down, basically. Right. Um, and no closer, it feels to, to having kids. And so
0: did it feel um, like the clock was like ticking?
1: It did. You know, yeah. at that point, at that point, I think, trying to think of the year but i think at that point lauren had just turned 30 okay and you know for her especially you know kind of going back to the beginning of our story like everything we'd always been like the first ones we've been dating mm-hmm. the longest we've been married the longest we you know and so now it's like especially for her for a woman like i'm turning 30 years old and i'm right. not even pregnant and we're not even like it's not even on the horizon for us you know right that was just crushing for her, it felt at the time. And and I remember we went to visit with her RE. We had never even met before uh, to, to kind of talk about this whole process. And the RE, you know, Lauren was talking about, I'm turning 30. And the the doctor was like, you're going to be one of my youngest patients for the next several years. Like right. you, you're not, 30 is not as old as you might feel like it is. Yeah. And, uh, but it, for her at the time, it just was, that was a big deal. So
0: Yeah. That makes total
1: sense. And then here we are, you know, day before Thanksgiving, find all this out. And, Mm -hmm. and then I got to, you know, kind of just plow through the holidays with a smile on your face. and Oh, so hard. And I'm sure everyone is
0: like, you know, probably the relatives that you hadn't talked to, like, when are you guys going to have kids? You've been together since you were 16, you know, where are these babies?
1: Constantly. I mean, and that year in particular, my sister, my younger sister and her husband announced that they were going to adopt. And so that was their kind of big announcement at Christmas. Like, Hey, we're kind of getting started in the process of adoption. And one of my aunts uh, in front of my 45 person, you know, family Christmas uh, turns to Lauren and I and says, you're just going to let her have kids before you. (sighs) And I mean, Lauren, just if I would have let her would have just gone like full, you know, UFC on her or something. She was, <laughs> she was just enraged. And, uh, so I had so. to, yeah, for sure. And I kind of had to, you know, uh, yeah, I had to kind of sit, pull her aside and my aunt aside and say, Hey, listen, like yeah. we've, we've been trying and you saying that kind of stuff is not helpful to anyone. In fact, it's wow. really hurtful. Um, good for you and, for saying uh, that. Yeah. I, she's just kind of, uh, she's a very like abrasive person anyway. And just, you know, kind of just shrugs it off as that's just the way I am, mm. Um, which just rubs me the wrong way. And, yeah. and then especially when it's like targeted at me and, and my wife and very, was very painful for Lauren, especially. Yeah, and so totally. I'm just like, shut up. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that I kind of tried to, to stop that because it was, it was getting bad, you know, all the comments and stuff, especially like a oh, year 30, you guys have been married for seven years now. What, what are you doing? Right. And I guess in in hindsight, I mean, it's hard to expect people to know better when you've hid what you're going through from them. But at the same time, that just, it wasn't something at the time that we felt like we wanted to be talking about constantly. We already felt like in our own house, we were talking about it constantly. Like it's all we think about. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of nice to have all these relationships where we can just kind of like mm-hmm. live our lives normally and pretend like everything's okay for a minute. Totally. Um, and so anyway, we we kind of, after we got that news and got through the holidays, we were like, what are we, what are we going to do? And we decided to, to, uh, pursue some therapy. Um, Lauren kind of nudged me towards it because I just, I just needed some time, just some time to like grieve and process everything and think about what our options were. And I just, I still, I think was in shock too. Honestly, I just, it I could not wrap my mind around the situation that we were in especially watching everybody now at this point, moving on to their second kid and, you know, um, here we are still stuck.
0: Right, completely.
1: And so we took about a year to just really process and grieve and um, travel and, and talk to each other. And we really, I mean, we worked on our relationship. It really ended up being a good thing for us. But um, at the time it was just not easy. And even doing the the counseling stuff, like it's very beneficial, but it's hard work. It's just hard to... To sit down and work through all those feelings and so we did all of that and along the line met just another chance encounter met another family that that we uh, kind of knew um from through mutual friends that had um, gone through again the exact same situation as us they had wow. um a kid through through a donor and they were about to start trying for um another one with the mm-hmm. same donor and so we really kind of they were a lot more open than the uh, first couple that we had met, and and so we just kind of felt like we wanted to talk with them and kind of get as much information as we could about that whole process. And they were really helpful with us about you know what what is if we go down this road, what are the processes going to look like? What are the mm-hmm. next steps? How does this all even work? What are the what are the donor banks websites look like? What right. do you know? I just, we, we were so clueless. We had no idea. And at that point hadn't even met with, we had, we had decided to change clinics, but at that time hadn't even met with the new RE. And so we had, we did, we were just clueless. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'd rather talk with somebody that's gone through it than just like Google it a hundred times in the middle of the night, like (laughs) I've been doing. Right. So uh, anyway, they helped us through that whole process. And just, I, I think that was another one, you know, just like that first family that meeting the second family and just seeing their, their kid and meeting them and talking to them about the whole process and just going, they're just a normal family. They're just another normal family. Like no one on the outside is like, Oh my God, that's that weird family that, you know, used to or whatever. It's just like, even their friends that the friends and family that knew their whole story and everything, like they just treated them totally normal, which of course they did. But from that position that we had been in for so long, it was like you're just constantly afraid of what is this gonna look like if we do this? and are we gonna you know, is this I don't know it's like we're gonna we're gonna end up with some alien child or something like it's just such a weird foreign process when you've never seen it up close, I guess
0: absolutely. I mean, how are you to know this isn't something that you just know unless you're in it, right?
1: right. and and like I said, we didn't even know anybody that had had you know, male infertility issues, let alone mm-hmm. you know, used a donor to conceive their children. Turns right. out we did, uh, and we have right. found more of them since then. But it's just some of that stuff that, like, because it's not normalized, it makes you feel so abnormal uh, really? when you're when you're in that position. And so that was another just just life changing moment to go and and uh, connect with them. And mm-hmm. um, so we we're very grateful for those families. And after all that, after we had taken a year uh, to do all that, we did decide that that was going to be the best road for us. And so early that next year, we started sitting down and looking through through the donor banks and all that, which was for some, a very, you know, quick process for us, very long, <laughs> tedious process, yeah. Tell me um, about the process.
0: Like, what were you guys finding as you're looking through the banks? And what were your, you know, did you come up with kind of a list of things that you wanted to look for, like physically and? Otherwise, genetically, like all that stuff, like what were your kind of parameters?
1: Yeah, there's a lot to to look into, and especially here in the U.S., we have several kind of larger um, banks, and me being a you know white uh, you know, pretty average, like Western European boring heritage. Um, <laughs> that's super common. So, you know, we were fortunate in that there was lots of options. Mm-hmm. Um, that also did make it a little more difficult to, to choose then because you're kind of, because you know, there's so whitt- many, yeah, you got to whittle it down somehow. Right. And so, um, yeah, the, we looked into four, Four or five different banks, and I just felt like I had to have all the information. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of how I work, and I made a huge master spreadsheet that had all my, you know, all of our top choices. And uh-huh. there was probably twenty-five on there total that I had whittled it down to. And and so yeah, we're looking at, um, you know, physical similarities. At first, that was kind of the most important to me. Um, just how can we make this look as normal as possible? Basically, sure. was sure. all that was going through my mind. And uh, the longer we looked, the less I cared about that. It was important to me in that I wanted, you know, okay, if if we're lucky enough that a kid comes from this, I don't ever want them to kind of get the i just would I just would hate for them to get like the mailman, you know comments and on the street or something like you look nothing like your family. like where where did you come from? You know right, you just right. those are the, those are the things that when you're going through this, like you can't get out of your head. yeah, uh, you just become obsessed by those thoughts. And so I get it, yeah. That that was really important uh, for us early on, and and then when I when that was my biggest and most uh, you know critical criteria, I realized how disappointed I was with what I was left with because I didn't like anything else about the people. And so, <laughs> what were some of like, the other okay.
0: things that was? I mean, that's on there, like for people yeah, that don't so, know.
1: Yeah, you can see all kinds of different things. Um, like I said, here in the U.S. and and different banks kind of show a little bit different things, but it's all pretty much the same. You can see, you know, obviously like height, weight, eye color, hair color. Most of them in the U.S. you can see baby pictures or or young child pictures, um, and then on a few of them you can also see adult pictures. Is it that thing
0: where uh, you have to pay extra to get more info? Or you that do, not like, yeah, yeah.
1: So you can go like right now you can, you can go on any of the major banks websites and you can see um, kind of a general, like, okay, I can find a six foot, 185 pound white guy. Like Mm -hmm. that's, you can see that, but you're not going to see much else about them. Mm -hmm. But then if you, you know, if you pay a membership uh, you can see all the details. And so you can see, like I have a, I have a, um, a folder uh, online for the donor that we selected that, you know, I can see his pictures, I can see his medical history. I can see his family's medical history. I can see like, you know, pretty much just immediate family or maybe like grandparents and aunts and uncles. And then there's like essays that they'll write, or um, we have an audio um, interview that he did where they're just kind of the the bank's just kind of asking him general questions. Why did Mm -hmm. you do this? What, you know, what, tell me a little bit about yourself, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it weird to listen to those? It is. It was. It was really weird at first, and honestly, there was a couple that we liked on paper, and then we listened to their their interviews, and that turned us off. You know, from them. Right. And so it was a really just a weird process. You're just. It's hard to explain. People are like, "Oh, it's like a dating website." I'm like, "Yes, except like, I'm not. This isn't choosing like someone to meet at Applebee's. This is like (laughs) somebody to." To like provide half of the DNA to make up the child that you want to raise, right? Like, I that you can't even put words to how critical that you become over you know choosing that person. Of so, of
0: course, it's like the biggest um, decision ever. The right. stakes and, have never been more high.
1: Right, and I felt every ounce of it. I just was like, I I took us three or four months to do this because I was just so overwhelmed. I'm not a good like impulse decision maker anyway. I'm just an overthinker and an analyzer. And I just, uh, this was the worst. I just could not, you know, make a, make a decision. And
0: Right. Um, and what's, but, what's Lauren's input where you guys like, we both have to be hundred percent on board with whoever we choose.
1: Yeah. She was really, you know, she was really good about understanding that this was really difficult for me. I mean, it was for her too. She, she's like, listen, man, like half my life, I've been thinking you and I are going to have, you mm. know, babies together and all this. Like, this isn't what I pictured either. And so I knew it was really hard on her as well. But she she was really big on just saying like, okay, I want you to take the lead on this. I want mm. you to have the final say. Obviously, I want to look and I want to give input and I want to make this decision together. But if, if it comes down to where we have kind of a handful or you like one more than the other, um, I want you to be able to make the final decision. Wow, that's
0: incredible.
1: Yeah, she kind of empowered me to to take the reins a little bit. I think what she, uh, at the time, I don't know that I really realized it, but I was kind of hurting her feelings because I didn't really, I felt awkward looking with her and I still can't even really explain why. It's just... Mm. I think it just added some pressure to it. Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to be doing something productive instead of just like rereading this person's profile for the 50th time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, so I I just preferred to look alone. Um, And then I, and then I would kind of go, Hey, you might, you might look on there because I added a couple to the, you know, to the list um, that you might, you know, want to look through or something. And Mm -hmm. I think she had kind of romanticized probably isn't the right word, but I think she just kind of thought this is going to look like us sitting on the couch, holding hands and making this perfect choice that we feel great about together.
0: Right. And bathtubs side by side with
1: candlelight. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Looking out into the sunset. You right. Know, I just, that's not the way that it went for me. It was a yeah. lot more analytical for me and I'll just there just was so much more that went into it. So, okay. you know, and we did look a lot together, but I I just needed a lot of time to look through it by myself too. And so in the end, uh, we, we, uh, we found somebody that we both felt good about and she kind of, you know, said, are, is that, are, do you feel good about this? Are you sure this is, you know, I'm like, well, no, I'm not sure. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure about anything, you know, but, right. but anyway, we finally decided on, on someone. And then of course, by the time we do, uh, there's nothing, no vials available,
0: Oh God. Um,
1: And so I had to call and they said, well, we'll we'll put you on a wait list. And which I kind of was not that upset about because it bought me some more time. (laughs) Except then they called uh, or emailed me, I guess, emailed me and said, Hey, there's four vials available uh, on this person and you have 48 hours to decide if you want them or not. And if not, then you go back to the back of the line. Oh, and so we were like, Oh my God, Uh, you know, just kind of panic mode again and yeah. we used every minute of that 48 hours to uh to think about it and and uh reread and re-listen to interviews and you know everything again before we both we really did just kind of have some peace about it i mean it's still a huge anxiety-ridden decision mm-hmm. at least it was for me but yeah. we we both felt good about it and so um yeah pulled the trigger and and uh bought those those four vials and then they they'll store them on site and then, um, ship them, um, to your, to your clinic whenever you're ready. And so Mm -hmm. we had Lauren had actually been kind of prepping, like going through a mock cycle at the time. Um, just because the RE wanted to kind of see what Mm -hmm. her, uh, ovulation cycles looked like, you Mm -hmm. know, how many follicles you are producing and all that kind of stuff. So it actually worked out pretty perfectly that when we, when we uh, bought those vials, they went ahead and, and, uh, Shipped a couple of them to our clinic and we Mm -hmm. had our first uh, IUI the next month, which was unsuccessful. But then we had another one the following month, um, which was successful Mm -hmm. and uh, resulted in our now one-year-old daughter, Delaney. Oh, my gosh. So tell me about that
0: when you got the results from the successful IUI. How did that feel?
1: Well, it's kind of strange because she was... The caveat here, not caveat, the uh, disclaimer here, she was using very old and we later realized expired home pregnancy tests that a friend had given her like years before when we first started trying to get pregnant. Okay. And, uh, she had just like, that was all she had. Okay. And so she goes in on you know day 14, which is when they told her to test and she goes in there and tests and it's negative. And then she goes back in the next day and tests and it's negative again. Oh. And I mean, like not, I have pictures of it. Cause I was trying to kind of just document the whole thing just for us. Yeah. And, um, I, there is not even a squinter, uh, on those things. I mean, it is, a squinter. Uh, th- there's no, there's no line on that.
0: <laughs> okay. Um,
1: and, uh, and so we just kind of, we were just crushed. I mean, cause we're just like, this is now we're kind of getting to what if this doesn't happen? We only have these four, like, are we gonna have to choose another donor? Are we going to have right. to like, what do we do? And so uh, another full week went by. And the doctor had basically said, you know, call me whenever you start your period and we'll start the next, you know, process over. Well, she still hadn't started. And so that, that next week, and that full, you know, seven days goes by after that. And she's like, wakes up one morning and starts going into our guest bathroom, which she never does unless at the time I'm going to go take a pregnancy test. Okay. So she starts walking over to that bathroom. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you are just setting yourself up for disappointment. Do not go over there. And I was wrong. She went in there and took pregnancy tests and it was positive. Because um, you had the non-expired ones by this point. I, by this point, I think we had... Yeah, we had upgraded <laughs> You ponied a up bit, for some and good so, ones, some new ones. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, oh, those expired two years ago. Okay. Oh my God. Um, so anyway, then it's kind of like full panic mode because we had already... At that point, we had let a lot more people into our our story and kind of where we were with everything. And so we were kind of keeping everybody, uh, you know, up to date on our on where we were at. We had already told everybody like, well, second cycle didn't didn't uh, work either. And so we're kind of regrouping, and now we're like, oh my god, uh, we might actually have a chance to like surprise some people um, because they think it didn't work, and mm. and uh, so we kind of secretively panic called the the clinic and we're like, we need a test today. We need a blood test today. Mm -hmm. And uh so go in, got the got the uh, positive beta results there and and uh, actually got to go and surprise our moms that day and tell them and oh that's uh, so cool. So it ended up being a really cool, really cool deal but weird to uh to find out, you know, a full week later that it was actually positive. It was just a strange, strange experience there.
0: Right. Well, as you know, none of this is ever a straight line, right? It's never easy, any of this stuff for anybody. It's so crazy. It's so true. Um, I want to talk about your Instagram, which is Pursuing Fatherhood. If you guys are listening and are not following Alex, definitely go check it out immediately. You launched your site June of 2019 or your account rather. The first graphic that you posted says DNA doesn't make a family. And you had this amazing caption about what, you know, what you had gone through. Tell me about why you wanted to start this account. And and, you know, I'd love to talk about the piece of, you know, you've talked to me before, me and Blair, about kind of grieving your genetics and all that and, you know, being a a donor conceived family. So I guess part one would be why did you start the account? Let's start there.
1: Yeah, I think during that time between making that decision and then buying those vials and and moving forward with actually you know going through these cycles to make it happen i i had just kind of gone all in uh i just i'm like at this point this is this this is the decision that we have made to grow our family this is how you know if if our family is going to expand this is the way that it's going to be and i need to do everything i can learn everything i can and i just i'm a very i'm just a talker, uh, just very communication driven person. And so I just wanted to, to get out there and talk about it because I had, I had been sitting there. I mean, now you're three years in mm-hmm. and I had really barely come across two people, uh, mm-hmm. to talk about it with and just started to realize I, at that point i started looking at looking at other Instagram accounts and there were no men sharing. I couldn't find a single person out there talking about it. It's wild. And it, it just... I mean, it's
0: not surprising. It's just like no. wow, you know they're out there,
1: right? And that was the frustrating part for me is I know they're out there, and I can't even not even an anonymous account I can't find anything. And so I found a couple women that were in similar situation that were sharing, um, and and I don't know that just kind of between that and I started listening to some podcasts that were that were talking about it, and specifically ones that were talking that were you know interviewing either donor conceived people or people that had gone down that route and you know it was was still all women but at least it was it was just kind of nice to hear other people going through the same thing and so I just thought you know what there's no like male perspective on this at all out there and I know that I've been looking for it and so there's probably other people that are out there looking for it too even if it's just women looking for what might my husband be feeling about this and which that is largely the case as it turns out. I mean, but, uh, but still, I, I just, I just, I knew that people were going to be out there looking for that perspective because I had been as well. And so that's kind of what, what made me want to want to do that. And it's just, it's that actually, I started it, um, a couple of days after the uh, IUI that ended up working. And mm-hmm. so it just kind of strange that, my account has literally started like right when we got pregnant, basically. Mm-hmm. We didn't realize it at the time, but um, just kind of crazy how it's worked. And so, yeah, it's just, since then, it's just kind of been, um, you know, yeah, chronicling our life. It's uh, so
0: great. It really is so great. And you're the first person that I came across who was a guy who had an account. So, you know, I, th- I just think it's so important what you're doing. I'd love to talk about You know what? I think you you were the one who mentioned that phrase. The first time I heard it was grieving your genetics. I remember writing that down when we first talked to you guys. It was either you or Wes, but I think it was you. So tell me about that part.
1: Yeah, that was not easy for me at all. Um, I think we all have some type of, you know, just weird connection that we don't even really think about a lot of times to our our genetics and our um, ancestry and, you know, people are obsessed with the, you know, the ancestry DNA tests and, you know, just, I don't know, we all feel some sense of pride with that, uh, at least a lot of us. And so it's just a weird thing. And I think as a man, especially like, uh, you just are kind of groomed that like, you be, you're proud of that and you, you pass on your name and you, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just this weird thing, like in our, in our society, it's not just our society. It's, it's mm-hmm. a worldwide thing. And, uh, I don't know, it's, I think between that and, and my dad actually, who, you know, I had mentioned was, was a great dad. Um, he passed away, uh, suddenly when I was 19. And so I think for me, like everything about infertility after that was kind of, it it also had the weight of like, you're not going to pass on, you know, what what your dad left you. I don't know. It just was this weird thing. Like I'm the only, I'm the only, you know, male in my family, have uh, two sisters. And so mm-hmm. like, it's going to be me that passes on our name or it's going to be me mm-hmm. that, you know, this or that. And I don't know, It's just this like unnecessary added pressure, but to me it was heavy. Um, and so I really had to, I really had to grieve that. I think I had like really thought, man, how cool would it be to like have a little boy that happened to look like my dad? Or Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I think I already thought like, this is going to be so hard to go through this next phase of my life without him. It was hard enough to like go through college and get married and all this stuff, go through infertility without him here for that support. And I know being a parent and not having just, just knowing that he's not here and he's missing out on that is really difficult for me. And so that, that just kind of add the DNA piece just added a, an extra weight on that for me. And, and then beyond that, it's just like pride, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just, you're just kind of proud of who you are and where you came from. And, and, um, so I don't know, that was a difficult thing for me, but I think seeing those other families, like I mentioned, and then especially once I started my my Instagram account and really started seeing the number of people that are out there that are going through this exact same thing Mm -hmm. and how they're able to grow their family in different ways. And, and my little sister adopting two kids that aren't related to her, you know, Mm -hmm. biologically seeing all these different things just really opened my eyes to the fact that like my first post said that DNA doesn't make a family. And Mm -hmm. I, that's not at all to discount the importance of DNA because I know that, that it is very important but man, I, you can be a really good parent uh, without being biologically connected to your kid. And yes. um, that was just, it was an important thing for me to realize. And so I just, I don't know, I've tried really hard to to impress that on other people too, just to, to make sure that they believe it.
0: Yeah. You did this really cool post, if I recall, uh, when you were feeding Delaney, her last bottle, and yeah. it was just so like emotional and heartfelt and talking about the ways that you bonded with her, you know, and I think that is a really legitimate concern that people have with donor conception. They're not sure if they're going to be able to bond and clearly you have. So I would love to wrap it up with just, you know, talking about that a little bit and the bond that you have with your, your little girl. And I don't know why, but now I'm going to start to cry. It's you're just, I love all of your posts are just so sweet. The one about Easter, the one about running into your therapist in church. I was like, Oh my God.
1: Yeah, it's it's, I mean, it's, it is emotional. It's just for me, especially thinking back on all, you know, as I sit here and like tell our whole story and all the things that we've gone through and then think about her and realize like everything that we went through got us to her is just, Mm -hmm. it it will, it gets me every time, but I, you know, yeah, I have, I've written about that a couple of times because it is everybody's huge concern that I'm not going to feel this connection. What if they don't feel like I'm their parent or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we still, you know, she's not a teenager yet. So we'll see, you know, what, <laughs> what uh, we have to deal with at that point and, right. and as she grows up, but at this point, I really have I really do feel like that the, the bonding thing is so much about effort on the parents' part. Mm-hmm. And man, I have done all of that. I just, because I worried about it and because I want I just want her to grow up and feel like, man, I never, I never doubted for a second how much my dad loves me. You know, I never felt weird or like we had this lack of connection. I just, whatever obstacles we might face, that is not going to be one. I've just been determined of that. And so, yeah, the, I I gave her a bottle every single night before bed. I mean, and the pandemic was one of those things that, you know, sucked for everyone, but Mm -hmm. it kind of it allowed me to kind of slow down and spend the entire first year of her life really kind of just focusing on her. We weren't going anywhere. We weren't seeing anyone. We had kind of a nice little set routine every night and okay. I was able to really spend that time and bond with her. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I've grown ass man that was sitting there crying, <laughs> feeding my daughter her, her last <laughs> bottle the night before she turned one, because I just, it was just the end of an era that had been so special to me mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know, I just going back to the very beginning, I, all the work that I put in to, to choosing the, the donor that was right for us and, you know, choosing the right clinic and just then we finally get pregnant and just all the things that I tried to do to connect during pregnancy and working on her nursery and talking to her in the belly and, you know, all those things, just, I tried really, really, really hard. And I know that I've shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again because I love it just one of the best moments of my life. Mm -hmm. The, the night that she was born was kind of just a crazy night and she was, she was born about 6 30 PM. And so, you know, we, we, and she was born about three weeks before COVID got crazy. So we actually had visitors that could come into the hospital and see her. And, uh, then, you know, once they all left and we got moved to our new room Mm -hmm. and we're getting settled for the night and Lauren is just exhausted. I mean, she just, you know, birthed a human being. And, uh, so she goes, she's just passed out. Um, and I was, I was laying there holding Delaney on my chest and it was middle of the night and the nurses come in, you know, it feels like every 10 minutes to poke her and, you know, take her temperature and check, make sure she's okay. And so they came in and they took her from me and they're, you know, doing all these tests on her and she's just screaming bloody murder. Um, just crying, crying. And, and so then they, you know, wrap her back up and they bring her back over to me. And I, I grabbed her from the nurse and I just put her back on my chest and I was kind of just looking at her and I just was talking to her, just real, you know, it's okay, it's okay. And she just stopped immediately, stopped crying and, and looked up at me and just kind of sat there like a newborn baby will, just kind of sit there, mouth open, just looked right into my eyes and then just laid her head on my chest and went back to sleep and that didn't cry. And I just, that that moment was so huge and important for me. I just it, I just knew in that moment that she knows I'm here to take care of her. She knows who I am. Mm-hmm. She has heard my voice before. She she feels safe with me. She feels comfortable with me. And that is all that I could ask for in that moment. And I just, I think, especially when you're talking about a baby, I think that's that says just about everything uh, that I could say about the bonding process. And uh, it's just, it's only gotten better from there.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And Alex, thanks again. If anybody wants to learn more about male factor infertility or using donor sperm or parenting a donor conceived child from the male perspective, definitely follow Alex at Pursuing Fatherhood on Instagram. And I know he's very accessible. So if you have any questions and you reach out to him, I'm sure he will respond to you as well. So thank you guys for listening. And I also wanted to remind you, if you are going through this and you're struggling and you're looking for community, definitely check out Fertility Rally, which is my other business that I founded with Blair from Fab Fertility. It is a place for support groups and content and curated events and family. Actually, it's everybody's become so close. It really has become a family. If you're having a hard time, we would love to meet you and support you. So definitely reach out to us. We're on Instagram at Fertility Rally. Or you can email us at thefertilityrally at gmail.com. Or you can always reach me on Instagram at infertileafstories. So I hope you guys have a great weekend and I will talk to you next time.